Welcome to Shelf Life, a podcast where I, Nicole Barbosa, chat with some of the coolest people in publishing about the wonderful world of books. In each episode, my guest and I will chat all about their book, Real or Imaginary, and then place it on a shelf alongside other authors and books that inspire them. Great literature frozen in time. It's definitely one for all the bibliophiles. In today's episode, I have the incredible privilege of chatting with actor, advocate, author, and fellow Texan, Tim B. Locke. Her first book, From Scratch, is an incredible memoir that features love, food, family, and loss. Timby is such a gifted writer and has written a stunning debut that had me crying, laughing, and hungry. The book is filled with delicious recipes. Whether you believe in love at first sight, you will definitely fall in love with From Scratch. The book transports readers to the streets of Florence where Timby met professional chef Saro. What began as young love soon blossomed into a truly beautiful relationship, even when Saro's family initially disapproves. Timby and Saro forge on to build a happy life in California, complete with successful careers and a beautiful baby girl named Zoella. The couple eventually reconcile with Saro's family, just as he faces a formidable cancer that consumes all their dreams. The story chronicles three summers Timby and Zoella spend in Sicily as they piece together a life without Saro and find solace and nourishment, spiritually and literally, at the dining table. This is the love story that stays with you forever. From Scratch was one of my favorite books of 2019, and it's no surprise that it became a New York Times bestseller and was recognized as a Reese Witherspoon Book Club pick for May 2019. I had so much fun chatting with Tembi about her beautiful story. I just cannot contain my excitement. I am here with the amazing Tembi Locke. How are you? Thank you so much for being here. Oh, Nicole, I am so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. It is not enough that your book has just absolutely transformed my year, but the fact that I'm speaking to a fellow Texan just makes it all the more sweeter. Uh, Yeah, I love the sort of um, Texas diaspora. (laughs) (laughs) The Texas women that are flung all over the planet. So I just want to say a huge, huge, huge congratulations on the release of your first book. I know listeners can't see it, but I'm holding it and I love it. And it's just absolutely incredible from scratch. It's an incredible debut, Timby, honestly, like just so much congratulations. Such a full memoir. And I just would love to hear as we get started, what has been the greatest joy of this experience? So It's just been an embarrassment of just gratitude and riches because, I mean, I think that, you know, if I had to distill it down, I would say that the joy for me keeps coming back to one thing. It's all the ways that people keep telling me and sharing with me how much this story is touching parts of their hearts, right, and their lives. And I got a beautiful email from a gentleman in New Zealand He's been married for 25 years and he has two kids. And he said, your book has made me think about the way I love my wife and children in a different way. And it makes me want to hold them closer. So for me, I mean, it's that kind of story kind of encapsulates all the joys of this book for me. One is that a man in New Zealand (laughs) who's been married 25 years is reading my story about being, you know, a woman from Texas in Sicily and the love that I have for Osado and my daughter and my mother-in-law and that touched his heart. I mean, that's the joy in storytelling, I guess. And that's the way it's like, even though it's a book or people are downloading it or they're listening to it, it's like in a way we're all telling each other, are connecting and telling, it's like we're sitting around a fire telling each other our story. 
And when he shared that bit of his story, it just touched my heart. So that's a joy for me. That's that's the joy of the sharing. That's amazing. I, that is such a beautiful story. It's interesting that you touch on the storytelling because that's something that I found in a recent Houston Chronicle article. You said you grew up in a family of Texas storytellers, and I just absolutely loved that. That, that one sentence just really resonated with me. And I know I don't need to explain how much talent is within your family. I mean, it is just astounding. Your sister has written many bestsellers. One of them is Bluebird, Bluebird, which is one of my favorite books. Attica, she's yeah. just incredible. Your father, Gene Locke, he was former city attorney for Houston. Your mm-hmm. mother, Shara, is a successful entrepreneur. And I just was wondering, in your opinion, obviously we're both biased, And I was just wondering how you think growing up in Texas really helped prepare you for life and eventually to write this beautiful story. Oh, wow. What a great question. Thank you. Well, it's funny because, you know, as we do this interview, I'm actually here in Texas. And actually before, you know, connected with you, I was actually just with my grandmother, my dad's mom, who's from Marshall, Texas. Any listeners out there who know where Marshall is, (laughs) she's now living here in Houston. And I spent time with her and she was regaling me with stories Mm -hmm. just just now, like literally half hour ago about growing up and particularly, you know, being with her dad and her siblings on a porch talking and the ways in which the closeness that got forged right by Mm -hmm. telling each other's stories and so I feel like in some ways I just it's always been around me I wasn't conscious of it Mm -hmm. but I guess in some ways it's probably what inspired me to want to be an actor like the way they told stories felt so interactive and sometimes I wanted to be the people in the stories they were telling or I could imagine myself as those people and I think somewhere at a very very young age that got stimulated in me. And I think in terms of writing this book, um, I think I am the benefactor and perhaps my sister would say something similar, but I definitely know I'm the benefactor of these generations ahead of me who took the time to sort of share the path they walked, right? The joys of it, the pains of it, the humor in it, you know, the things that still uh, befuddle them that they can't make sense of. Mm -hmm. But the fact that they never saw me as just a kid who, oh, you know, she doesn't need to know that. They really were like, come over here. Let me tell you something. I think that for writing this book, I very much try to share with the reader, you know, as I was beginning to write it, that sense of, I'd like to tell you this story and this is how, and really make it very intimate. And so I guess that the Texas, you know, back porch tradition or front porch tradition that I come from is that way of creating no separation between the storyteller and the listener. That we are all in this beautiful ecosystem of humanity and the human experience and let me, and that can cut across generations, economics, you know, obviously race, culture, geography, all of it, because we're telling a human story. So I guess that's what I got from my Texas roots. Yeah, that's such a beautiful way of explaining it. And I, what you were touching on, you know, just then about how these stories, they begin with our ancestors and then the path is carved out. And essentially the path that we have the privilege to walk is in, in a large part, thanks to those ancestors and to those family members. But what's so great, I think, is that the family history, the richness of it, and the culture, and where we come from really carries on into future generations and allows us to tell that story from 
different perspectives, but it also makes it very uh, kind of a holistic view of it as well, because it's part of one beautiful package, I think. And I would say for me, it also, and and you may agree that that sense that because I come from that, I recognize it in other cultures, right? So I can be anywhere in the world and I can see those common threads, right? Mm -hmm. And I have reverence and respect, which is how, you know, in some ways what I try to do in From Scratch and talking about this one town and this Mm -hmm. one place and one family and all the ways, the richness there, you know, I I write as lovingly about that as I would about my own, you know, family of origin or own bloodline. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as well, that's why fellow storytellers, lovers of stories and storytellers themselves all connect in, in again, such a beautiful way because you recognize great storytelling, which absolutely runs throughout your book in, in leaps and bounds. And the fact that you allowed us to so intimately join your journey and join your story was such a gift for me. I absolutely loved it. Your book only came out, you know, it's just been over a month and it's, it's just astonishing and it's absolutely flown off the shelves and obviously reaching people in New Zealand which is incredible and you know after you read your book even just from the first couple of pages there's no question as to why it's absolutely flown off the shelves and become a bestseller the writing is so rich and vibrant and dare I say delicious since there's food Mm -hmm. intrinsically through it I'd love for you to talk through the role that food plays within this book and also the power that it it has over us and to bring us together Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, I mean, you know, I was married to a chef. Sada was a chef, right? And so actually, before I begin with him, I must say, again, going back to family, you know, the ways in which food kind of, um, I think in general and in all of our families can be a way to express our, who we are, our identity, you know, as a Texan, right? There were certain things that were always on the table at holidays, you know, at every family gathering at family reunions. And I identify that food as sort of the food of, you know, if you will, my people. (laughs) And I think that it stands true for everyone all over the world. But when I met Sado, I began to think about food more than just how as something regional or tribal, but I began to see it as like something connected up to this to our planet, like mm-hmm. Mother Earth. Mm-hmm. Because being a Sicilian and Italian, the way in which he taught me to appreciate and had such a beautiful reverence in his connection to the land, because his family, you know, were farmers and agrarian and the way they eat in season, there's not waste, right? Yeah. You use every part of each of every fresh. vegetable. Um, everything is fresh. And so then I kind of was like, oh, this is a whole other way of engaging with food, right? And that love and respect for it, you know, took that on as my own love and respect for it. So food does both, it plays on two levels. One is, is sort of how we identify and how we sort of have shared memory around food, but then it's also how we connect with the seasons and the planet and the actual geography of the place that we're in. And then the table right, is this gathering space where all of that gets to play out. Identity plays out. The seasons play out. Mm -hmm. And the space is this, I think the table is a gathering space for us to forge relationships, dreams, aspirations, to sort of hash out problems, you know, ask big questions of ourselves. And we don't, we don't do it formally. You know, we don't sit down and think, let's talk about the big stuff, but it begins to happen over the course of a meal. And, you know, it's interesting. I heard not too long ago, some research and I'm, I'm sort of, you know, going to sort of hit the broad strokes of it, but effectively what the research showed was that when people sit down and share a meal together, Right. And and the research was comparing 
people who have a meal and they do it potluck where everybody's eating something different, mm-hmm. right? Or, or eating, eat, eating different things at the same table. Whereas people who are eating the same thing at the table, there's actually more harmony if everyone is eating of the same dish mm-hmm. as opposed to each individual eating individually what he or her prefers. Yeah. So that to me spoke volumes about what can happen around a single meal. Yeah. A kind of harmony, literally at this, they, I think in this research, there was something around either the brain activity. And so they're actually studying what happens to us at a scientific level, biologically, when we are sharing a meal together. Yeah. And so, for, yeah. And so in my book from, you know, from scratch, I mean, I'm sitting eating at, I ate at my husband's table for 20 years and what that did for me from that first meal through our last meal together. And then the meals that I've shared with his family, the table is almost a space where we could come closer and we still each be, our, our relationship deepens. So food is, it's, it's huge. Yeah. <laughs> and, and often sometimes just in the background. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there's little details throughout the book, such as the fava beans, which I absolutely loved, you know, Saro talking about, you know, where they come from and how, you know, local they are to where he grew up. And as you were talking just then, I feel it also just goes back to the storytelling as well. We tell stories when we're around the table and we're having a meal and we connect all of that together. And as you said, I think also, you know, in the chapters where you and Zoella go over to Sicily for the summers, you're learning how this food is being produced you're watching people yeah. bring it from carts and markets <laughs> and, and things like that and it's it's just I know this sounds really silly but also very simple it I think we don't really appreciate where our food comes from and so, we don't and so this was, was so wonderful and that's what I love is that you took us on this intimate journey and it it, it wasn't you know I'm going to take you so far and then I want you to kind of figure out the rest you really genuinely trusted us to to go on that journey mm-hmm. with you which was just like I said such a gift and you know it, it is a beautiful tribute to to your husband Saro and you had the great privilege of, of meeting in one of the most romantic beautiful cities in, in the world Florence uh Firenze, yes. as they say in Italian <laughs> yes, um, it's yeah it's, it's an incredible place you know it's an incredible place to fall in love and to find love and it was a really important place for you to take that important step in this journey that you went on and you know, when you were writing the book and reflecting on those first with Saro and, and for yourself, did you find anything new about going back to that time that you perhaps didn't remember? Or, you know, how did you feel about going back in general and to that special time? I had so many mixed feelings about that. And I mean, you can imagine on the other side of, of our love together and after his passing to revisit our inception you're right. The beginning yeah. of everything was, well, it was a dual experience of incredible joy and elation and wonder. Mm-hmm. Like, how did that unfold? How did that even happen? Like, oh, how blessed I was. I could see, you know, looking back, the grace that was that faded first moment when we met. Right. Yeah. And also there was such nostalgia and sadness, but mostly I would, in, certainly in writing those chapters, you know, that, that, that first chapter of the book, laugh out loud at things yes. I would remember, you know, yes. about him. You know, I, I guess the best way I could put it is that Sato, the clarity of his vision, mm-hmm. he had such clarity for what could be and what 
the possibility of an us, right? Yeah. The, the life that we could have. And I think the thing that surprised me in writing the book was being at this stage in life and looking back and mm-hmm. seeing how, and asking myself, how could he have that clarity? How could he just know, you know? And I think the answer that I have come to is that sense of, I think it is on some higher level. I think he just stepped into his open heart and he just refused to leave. You know, he just refused to leave his open heart. And I think that there was something about what he experienced in our togetherness that he just wouldn't turn away from it and his tenacity around that. And so that's a beautiful thing to have revisited and to also know that I have some of that in me now because he shared that with me. Yeah, I can use that for how I choose to go forward to be able to, to write this book and be able to tell that again I'm sure it was was just a moment of such oh gosh I don't even I don't even think there's a word no, for it. it it had all of it trust yeah. me I mean Nicole as I was writing it it would have like you know it it had all of the the, the ups and the downs yeah. and the joys and I felt like I felt all the feelings as 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 as, oh, <laughs> as people gosh, are saying yes. about the book it gives you all the feelings you know and I, I really wanted to I mean in the writing that I there were times when I thought oh is um is this too much do I hold back and I thought you know what I have to write this in the spirit of the way Sato lived his life yeah. which is yeah. hold nothing back right just lay myself bear mm-hmm. and and be open yeah and be authentic and, and if I can do moment. that yeah and be in the moment yeah. and if I can do that perhaps it will connect with the reader so like you said I laughed a lot and you know I think <laughs> I think it's okay to admit that I laughed in this book um you know because you definitely left room for for so much humor but there were also moments where I like I messaged you and I, I tweeted and I was just like I am bawling on the train, I I actually had a woman tap me on the shoulder and ask if I was okay because I was just a puddle of mess. I was in the hair salon and I'm just tears are streaming because it's just so beautiful. And when I was at the hair salon, I actually was reading the moment where Sato waited outside for you when you accidentally fell asleep when you were supposed to be meeting up when you were living in that in the house share. And I yeah. was just like, oh my gosh, this is just a love that you just can't believe actually exists and then to have it right here in front of you in this beautiful book it's just it was so incredible and one of the things I messaged you about as well is that there are just some I keep saying beautiful I'm sorry it sounds like I'm a broken record but I really feel like that's the only word that can do it justice the these moments of reflection and and the intrinsic bond and connection that that you had is so undeniable and it becomes you know, so strong throughout the book. And then you bring us back to the States uh, after you've mm-hmm. been married and, mm-hmm. um, and Sato's had his diagnosis and you guys are going mm-hmm. through that. And happiness just comes to you at this moment that often wondered if, if you really were able to grasp just how happy you both were in this moment, but when you adopt your daughter, Zoella. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I would love to hear more about that first moment when you met her and and Uh, going through that together. I could talk about that for (laughs) until the end of time because it was so extraordinary. And, um, you know, when a parent sees their child for the first time, right. I think any parent can speak to this. It is, it is hard to put words around what happens to you and how your heart just bleeps outside of your body. And suddenly you are engaging in life on a whole new level, right? It's like there was the before time and then, oh, now there's, there's this child. And so for us in particular, so I think that 
that's that's just inherent to the parenting and birth experience. Mm-hmm. But for us in particular, and what I learned in writing the book was seeing that experience through the context of what was also in the background of mm-hmm. our lives, right? Yeah. Which was his diagnosis and his illness, which at that point he was in remission and we didn't know, you know, it might never come back. You know, we were, we were just living in the moment. Absolutely. And the fact that, that Zoella's and the decision to adopt, first of all, and the fact that, that there was such grace and beauty around how the three of us became family. Mm-hmm. And I write in the book very intimately about that experience for us in that moment, you know, where we where we go to meet her for the first time and also what it meant to say goodbye, right? Because in adoption, there's a hello and there's a goodbye, yeah. right? That's kind of inherent. In it. And I tried to share that as well. But oh my gosh, when I saw Zoella... <laughs> And she was asleep in a little crib and she had a little, you know, baby cap on her head. And oh my God, the little angel, she was just a little angel. Of course, she, you know, I could gush on it. And if she were listening to this now, she would be like, oh, mom, stop it. Please just stop. (laughs) You know, but, you know, someday she'll be a mom, perhaps, should she choose. She might know love like this, right? And so, but the one moment that stays with me from that first meeting when we first all came together, the three of us, Mm -hmm. is the way when Sato held her in his arms. Mm -hmm. And seeing the man that I had loved for, you know, at that point more than, you know, we'd been together more than 10 years, seeing him, the way his body and his face lit up, it was like he had a new, it was like a jolt of pure love and light had just sort of passed through his body and he was like ah it was like it was like ah this is what this everything has led up to this moment and that was just gorgeous and I'll never forget that look on his face yeah geez that's just giving me chills I mean that moment when you bring another person into your life and and, Mm -hmm. and as well I can only imagine that no other experience will ever measure up because it's it's such a unique and special moment that you have that first and then to be able to to carry that moment forward and and now see her all grown up and and I I actually have to say she's one of my favorite characters in the book because she's so tenacious and she is just her own little person and you know and speaking Italian and Sicilian you know with Nona and and cooking and you know making friends over in the summers like it was just such a joy to again be a part of her journey to be able to see that and and I absolutely love that so please tell her that she's one of my favorite I will tell her I will tell her that's amazing and how old is she now She's 14 now. Oh, I bet she's just so immensely proud of you. I, I think so. She, so. she told me she was. So I, I, that, I take that to heart. Thank I, you. I believe her. I believe her. So I do want to say, you know, I did find myself laughing a lot as much as the tears. And I think what helps, obviously everyone is different, but I think what helps is when you read a memoir like this, where you are given the opportunity to see such an intense and and intimate glimpse into someone's life, you do find yourself wondering how it all comes together. And and actually there is going to be a happy ending. And I'm so glad that there is. But looking back at when Saro was diagnosed in 2002, and the fact that you obviously so lovingly cared for him for those for those 10 years the moments in the book where where you lessened his pain the scene where you're sharing popsicles and I wondered this as I was reading did you ever feel like 
you had to take on some of Sarah's pain to help you really get through through your own pain? I guess if I reflect on it, the, what I really feel most often was sometimes in lessening his pain, one, what it did was it gave me purpose and it gave me something that I could do when I felt so helpless, right? So the little, the small gestures of love, the small gestures of care that all caregivers offer and extend come a way that we can ease the emotional perhaps suffering that's present or that we are in the presence of. And so sometimes being that place where that person who could do that for him, and I wasn't alone. There were close friends who would do it sometimes, but, you know, certainly I as his wife, I'm the primary, right? But those moments, I think, I don't know that they so much lessened my own, Mm -hmm. but they definitely in bringing us to such a, a, a close, intimate connection, yeah. I think what it did was it just kept me centered and anchored in my heart. And in doing that, I think that's the only way I was able to go through 10 years, mm-hmm. meaning there were so many ups and downs that you have to keep coming back to through the difficult times, through the joyous times, what is at the center of it? And it's that heart connection. And so mm-hmm. when you, I think our work in life, you know, I think it's Ram Das who said, you know, we are all just walking each other home. You know, that this whole lifetime is just, we are walking each other home. And so for me, with him, if I could extend my hand, if I could, and I mean that metaphorically, but also sometimes literally, mm-hmm. you know, extend that hand, that would do some, that would give me a kind of heart juice, if you will, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and that was fortifying enough to go on to whatever would be the next moment. Yeah. So that's the best way I would explain it. Yeah. yeah that makes sense. And, you know, as I said several times, your book offers readers the opportunity to see so many parts of the journey. And I really loved that first summer when you and Bella traveled to Sicily and you bring some of Sorrow's ashes back home. And I really found this lovely sense of irony, something about coming back to your roots, something about coming back to a place of comfort that you know, even when it is an extremely uncomfortable moment, can bring us a bit of closure if that's what we're after. I was just wondering, what would you say did these, these summer trips offer you and, and what did you relearn about yourself when you were there? Well, they offered me, I mean, you know, the summer trips offered me a place as a newly grieving person, particularly that first summer. And, and I would say that it you know, I consider newly grieving like the first three to four years, quite frankly, because it takes that long. You know, someone I'm going to do an aside for just a second. Someone when I became a mom, someone told me whose child was an adult. She said, you know, it really took me about five years to get used to being a mom. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, what do you mean by that? You know, because I'm thinking like diapers, you know, she said, no, I mean, to really my identity as a, you know, I'd been in a wife and she goes, and it took me a while to get my sea legs and feel like, ah, yes, I am a mom. I I didn't feel nervous anymore. I felt, okay, I got this, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think it takes a while in life when we have big life experience, be it a marriage and certainly a death or being a parent, where it takes a while to integrate that. And for me, that's why I say for me, it took, you know, definitely three plus years where I could really feel solid in the world. And those first three summers and going to Sicily gave me the space and time to kind of breathe and sit into my 
grief and not run from my feelings and feel safe and surrounded by people who could allow me to make space for that. And to your point about what, to your point about how ironically the pain of that, yes, I mean, I, every summer when I would board the plane, especially those first few summers, I would always say, oh my gosh, I'm going right back into the heart of all my grief, right? I'm going to Sato's hometown. I'm going to yeah. the epicenter, everything about him, the language, the culture, the sights, the sounds, the smells. So on the one hand, I'm asking myself, to go into the heart of the matter, the heart of the pain. But in that, I also get to recapture him. So that's Mm -hmm. the irony is that I also get the joy of being feeling close and connected to him. And I couldn't separate the two. They had to exist, you know, hand in hand. And where some people say, you know what, that's too much. I don't want to go back. I don't want to be confronted with that. It's going to bring up too many feelings. Might not have chosen to get on the plane. But for me, and also because I was doing it also for Zoella, and also as summers went on, my growing connection with my mother-in-law, I didn't want to miss that. So that that, it was a gift to me, a gift in many, many ways. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love Nona as well. Yeah, she's she's, fantastic. Absolutely love (laughs) love her. her. I like to go back and talk about this gorgeous cover. It's a photo of you and Saro on your wedding day. And you both look absolutely gorgeous. (laughs) I would love to know how you actually feel about the fact that this photo that perhaps was really just for you to have, you know, framed or in your family's homes and things like that. It is literally on bookshelves upon bookshelves, um, both in shops and like my personal bookshelf. I mean... What, what, what are you strange, actually thinking about? It's surreal. <laughs> it's quite, quite frankly, it's surreal. It is absolutely oh surreal because when we were thinking about the cover, mm-hmm. they asked for family photos and I just sent over a number of photos. This was one of the ones that was included. Mm-hmm. I never thought of it as the book cover. I never imagined it as the book cover. Yeah. I don't think I had even, I was so busy trying to write the book. I wasn't even thinking about cover art, quite frankly. But I have to say now that it is the cover. So two things happened. When I first got the first shipment of books and I opened them and I saw the two of us Mm -hmm. there and I saw him. So that picture I've looked at for years, right? But now when I see it on the book cover, I think it's him whispering in my ear. And because he has transitioned and he is on the other in the, you know, on the other realm, as they say, you know, that idea of him whispering back to me, all the things that he, all of our dreams, our aspirations, the thing, the way he guides me now in life, it's almost as though the photo is playing on two levels. It's playing on that beautiful, gorgeous day in which he was whispering something in my ear on our wedding day. And the way today now, as you know, more than 20 years later, he's also still whispering in my ear. And so I kind of love it. Sometimes I see it in what I call like a disassociated place, like in a bookstore. Or, you know, when I see it online, I go, wait, why are we there? Yeah. <laughs> you, know, what, what, you know, it takes me a moment to sort of process. But when I step back, I just say, I'm just grateful. I'm grateful that it, it became the cover. And I think that I'm looking at it now as a reminder of all of the beauty of that one day but also the beauty of Sado still whispering in my ear. That's the way I choose to look at the cover of the book. Oh, that's so lovely. You mentioned in the book that without a shadow of a doubt, you know that Sado is is watching over you, and I have no doubt that he is immensely proud of, of you and your family and your story. And I would love to know now and forever how 
and where you feel Sato's presence the most? Where do you feel it? Um, two places. My The kitchen in our home. At home, I feel him. And generally speaking, the kitchen. I, I was going to say in, in the garden, the garden that we have there at the house. So definitely there are a couple of places in the house where I really feel it strong, his presence strongly. And then, of course, Sicily. There are two places, obviously his hometown, but also there's a spot on the beach <laughs> that I go to all the time, you know, and that's a part of, I guess, the timelessness of grief or loss or love or all of it, a life, is that we are a memory. We just get escorted right back there. So he's very present. He's very present. And also sometimes when I see certain things in Zoella, I'm reminded of him. I want to talk about the very exciting news that you received. Congratulations about being selected by Reese Witherspoon for her book club for May. Yay, That's Reese. amazing. Reese. I would love to hear more about how you were notified, how you found out, oh, you know, Reese. how it feels to know that Reese Witherspoon, like me and so many others, just absolutely loved your book so much. First of all, I was floored. I'll be honest. <laughs> I was like, what? But, you know, I got the official news in an email, oh, right? Wow. And I was like, wait, I, I literally read it and read it and reread it. I knew that the manuscript, you know, that that there was some interest. Mm-hmm. I'd just gotten whispers of it, but they have their old process and I didn't know anything of. And, and it really was official for me when I saw the sticker on the cover of the book. And I just lost my mind with... Wow gratitude and love. And when she announced it publicly in her words, holding the book, saying Sato's name, you know, talking about how the book made her feel. uh, It was just, it it, it still is surreal. You know, she's such a champion of women's stories and of heartfelt stories and of empathy and of, you know, global stories and so many diverse points of view. So for her to sort of not only share how it touched her, but then kind of, you know, be an ambassador for the book out in the world is really huge. And I, I just feel, I, I feel so grateful. And, and I have not met her, but I hope to meet her one day. And, and um, I'm going to give her a huge hug and I might not stop hugging her. So <laughs> that's just how that's going to go. Oh, amazing. I love it. Oh, it must have just been such a thrill and, and so very well deserved. So congratulations again. Just, just so wonderful. Last question is the premise for this podcast. And I would love for you to imagine that From Scratch has been placed on a bookshelf and it's great literature frozen in time. And if you have the choice to choose any author, any books that you'd like to sit alongside uh, yours, who would it be? I would love to know. Oh my God. Okay. Well, what I love about this question is if I'm on a bookshelf, I'm flanked by authors, <laughs> right? I hope, you know, I, I'm, there's, there are people on either side of me and then on either side of them. But, you know, I, um, I want to say for this book in particular, mm-hmm. for this book, because I really have d- deeply influenced by Louise Erdrich with, and she, you know, her work is just, I, I aspire to be someone who could share stories and family stories and write the way she does about place and emotions and mm-hmm. the human psyche and heart. So definitely her, Toni Morrison and Rumi, Rumi, because Sato loved poetry mm-hmm. and I read poetry to Sato in his final hours and I read Rumi. So I think Rumi would have to be right next to this book. And I can think of some other Italian authors like Leonardo Shasha, who, you know, wrote about Sicily. But also I have a sweet spot for Isabella Allende. Yeah, she wrote a book called The Sum of Our Days. And I read it the first summer after Sato passed. And it's about her losing her daughter. And that book, for the first time, gave me permission that maybe I could tell a story. Maybe. 
So I would want her somewhere there. So I know that's a long list of people, but I'm on no, a shelf. So there's many people. There's many. And I could go on because there's people who've been, but I just wanted to sort of think about it from the point of view of exactly. this book in particular. Yeah. And so I, I need a little Sicily, a little poetry. <laughs> I cannot say enough just how incredible this book is. And I'm so pleased to see that it is receiving all the accolades and the high praise that it deserves. Just really quickly, anyone wants well, to get in touch with you to say how much they love you and your book, how's the best way to do that? So the best way is on social media. So, you know, Twitter and also Instagram, but you can go to tembilock.com. So my name, T-E-M-B-I-L-O-C-K-E.com. And um, so that's my website and there's lots of information there, but if you become a subscriber, so just give your email once a month, only once a month, I send out sort of communications and updates and that's a great way to stay connected. So thank you for asking that, Nicole, because I do like, you know, hearing from readers and it, it it touches me a lot. Thank you so much. It's an honor. Thank you so much, Timby. Thanks for listening to this episode of Shelf Life. I'd love for you to tell me what you thought of it, either on Twitter or Instagram, or by leaving a review on iTunes. Until next time, happy reading.